morning. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. Amen. I think it's important to state from the outset um, that this text in the history of the church has been used as a sort of bludgeon far too often. In general, uh, over the time... um, course of the church's history, divorce has often made somebody feel like a social pariah. And you might think to yourself, well, this is, this is something that happened more like 50 years ago, right? Aren't we more accepting of divorce? Aren't people um, less likely to oust a person just because of, a, of divorce? In 1999, Amy Grant, a Christian singer and songwriter, she, uh, She got a divorce. Less than a year later, she was remarried. And because of that, uh, she was boycotted on lots of radio stations. Now, back then, you didn't have Spotify or YouTube. The only way you got your music out was through the radio. And that was only 20 years ago. In 2014, there's another singer-songwriter named Derek Webb. He was uh, divorced. And I heard him a couple years later comment at a conference. He said... Uh, some background on Derek Webb. He was a very edgy uh, Christian singer and songwriter. He would write uh, quite a bit about the grace of God and the hypocrisy of the church. And he said at this conference a couple years after his divorce, as he was re-examining and re-exploring his faith, he said, everybody really liked my music because it was for the outcast and the sinner. But when I was the outcast and the sinner, they didn't really want that. My oldest brother in 2015 had a divorce. Um, When he returned to church, people stopped talking to him. Whether they didn't know what to say or they were just plain mean. He was ousted by that church. And that, the way people interacted with him, the divorce he had and the sin that brought it about, That has been a massive hurdle for him in his on-again and mostly off-again relationship with God. It's important to recognize that this has been used as a bludgeon and that that lacks grace as we step into this text. When you read the text, when you heard it read by David, it's, you know, a question comes, is this the litmus test for a Christian marriage? Is this the rule for a Christian marriage? Because Jesus appears to provide no loopholes You hear about this certificate of divorce. Back then, there were kind of two sets of rabbis. There was a more liberal group of rabbis who believed that, uh, and and we even have documents of where they wrote, if the wife were to burn the food, you were permitted to write a certificate of divorce. The more conservative side just said you had to check a few more boxes, but they did agree on one thing. Divorce was fine, provided that the man wrote a certificate of divorce. Jesus' answers, though, in verses 9 and 11 and 12, he says in verse 9, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then in verses 11 and 12, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, if you're divorced and remarried, it's adultery. So he seems to provide no loopholes whatsoever 
when we read this text. The question for us then is, does this apply to all situations everywhere? What about other scripture? I mean, Jesus talks about in Matthew, it seems to say that he allows for adultery to be a permissible reason to seek a divorce. Paul talks about being abandoned. And so what do we do? I think we do well to look at the situation and who is asking Jesus's question. Here's the situation. First off, this is not a marriage seminar. Jesus is not setting the framework for Christian marriage. That is not the context that's going on. He is being trapped by the Pharisees. You see, they're asking him a question that they know is very divisive. They're asking him, hey, who did you vote for? Because they know if he answers that, 50% of the people will be really angry with him. The liberal and conservatives, they agree on one thing. Divorce is fine. They just want to know how serious of an offense before I, as a man, can present that certificate of divorce to the woman. I think the first thing we need to recognize within this situation is that you probably shouldn't be taking this text literally for all time. But unfortunately, the church has done that quite often in the way that it treats people who have had divorces. I mean, James was preached last week. On the end of Mark 9. How many of you have cut your thumb off because you can't stop scrolling on your smartphone? We don't take that literally. But this one, the church seems to far more often take literally. What about selling all your possessions and giving them to the, to the poor, like the rich young ruler? Well, I'm not rich. Actually, if you make $20,000 a year or more, you are in the top 9.5% in the world. That means there are nearly 91% of people who are more poor than you. So why do we take some passages literally in the history of the church like this and really beat people up with them who've had a divorce? And others, we go, well, that one doesn't actually apply to me. Let's for a second allow Jesus to be a first century Jew. Let's not immediately jump to where Jesus is like talking to us in our day. There is no shared custody here. There's no uh, drop your kids off at the local family table when your weekend is up. That's not how it worked back then. That's not how divorce worked. Notice that they only ask if it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife, not a woman, right? Women did not have the ability to survive on their own during this time. This is why the story of Ruth is so engaging to us and engaging to people in that time. The certificate of divorce is really allowed, Jesus says, because their hearts were hard. What he's saying is that their mind was already made up. They're going to do it anyway. They're going to get a divorce. They just want to know, can I check the box to give this certificate of divorce? So Jesus is actually addressing that attitude. That is who he is answering to, and that is the situation he is answering. The certificate of divorce is there to protect the women, because I don't really know how else to say this. The men in that time were just a little bit sleazy. They just were. They just weren't good people. Right? It was a patriarchal society, and the women had no power. And so it was there to protect the woman because she, her survivability had to be to be able to get remarried so that somebody else could take care of her. And nobody wants to be remarried to somebody who left a marriage in a way that was not honorable or was not okay. And so really, Moses allows this because they're sinners and because he wants to protect women. So when Jesus says marriage is a lifelong commitment, it undoubtedly has some truth for us. We're not denying that. However, 
The reason he's speaking so forwardly here is because of who he is speaking to and the culture of the time. Notice that Jesus, um, or excuse me, that the disciples ask in private. They're like, we got to know a little bit more about this. Like, these are Jewish men. They're like, that doesn't quite make sense. My whole life I've been told something different. I've been told divorce is okay. Again, the Pharisees ask, is it lawful for a man? But how does Jesus talk to his disciples? In verse 11, he says, hey, listen, if a man divorces his wife and remarries, it's adultery. Also, verse 12, if a woman divorces his husband, her husband, and gets remarried, it's also adultery. That would have been, that was a radically feminist statement for Jesus to make in that time. Radically. The Pharisees thought they had him trapped. As usual. And, but, but Jesus, he upholds the dignity of marriage and he upholds the dignity of women. They thought that the certificate of divorce was really just a formality to go through. They wanted to know if Jesus was simply conservative or liberal in that formality. Newsflash, Jesus doesn't fit into those boxes. So we can poorly apply this text. We can look at this text on its own. And we can say, all by itself, there is no grounds for divorce ever. And we can beat people up with that. This is a classic example of how God speaks in the Bible in two words, law and gospel. We have this tendency as a people to read the Bible like it's a guidebook, a map, a divine self-help manual that gives us all the answers to all of our questions. And so we tend to make the text about ourselves right away instead of reading, first and foremost, how God is talking to a particular people in a particular place at a particular time. A reminder, the law is what we should do. And it's reserved to humble the proud. That's why Jesus uses it against the Pharisees all the time, because they're so prideful. Whereas the gospel is what God has done for us in Christ. And that is reserved to comfort the afflicted. And that's why Jesus speaks so differently to sinners, to tax collectors. The Pharisees are looking for Jesus to bless their low view of the seriousness of divorce. In my experience, both personally, my family, the people I've spoken to over time, the college students I mentored in my three years in Iowa City, divorce is the number one most common negative experience that people have. It's not to say that it's the most serious for everybody. That's not what I'm saying. But the thing that I hear most often, the most common thing that people say that they've had to work through and that has caused friction and difficulty and strife in their life is divorce. Whether it was their own or coming from a family that has been divorced. So when we look at uh, at divorce and we start to see that the the dissolution of a relationship like nobody ever plans to get divorced right it's never in the it's never in the plans when you're standing up here and you're making your vows so the dissolution of that relationship potentially then having to take that relationship and take it into another and then man if you involve kids into that thing it's an incredibly life-altering event Therefore, the Pharisees' low view needs to be met with the law, not the gospel. Using this, then, against someone who is crushed by their divorce is honestly cruel. Because sometimes the best decision 
is between multiple bad options. That's the life of living in a broken world. So we see in the scriptures that in the case of adultery and abandonment, that divorce is permissible. It's not what God desires. It's not automatic, but it is permissible. And when you think about abandonment, that is, that is leaving the flourishing of somebody else and leaving them all on their own. It's very easy to draw a straight line then to physical, emotional, verbal, spiritual abuse. Because that is, leaving, that, that is no longer wanting the best for that person, but abandoning their good. So it's very easy for us to draw that line as well to see those as permissible reasons to get out of a damaging and unhealthy relationship. We can unquestionably say divorce is not God's desire, it's not his plan, it's not what he longs for us. But real life puts us in ugly situations because sinners are involved. So who is this text speaking to and who is it not speaking to? We can unequivocally say if you don't think divorce is a big deal, that it doesn't wreck emotional havoc on you, on your spouse and on those around you, then yes, this text is speaking to you. Jesus has a word of law for you. Divorce is absolutely a big deal if you don't think it's that big of a deal. If it's just a, just a, a certificate of divorce, just something to go through. And we actually see this culturally, right? Um, some of the, the, I've read the, the Housewives series. They turn divorce into this thing that, that allows them to get better, Right? I've put that off and it's helped make me stronger instead of something that's, it's the death. It's the death of a, of a relationship. It's the death of oneness, the two becoming one, as Jesus says. So Jesus indeed has something to say to somebody if they don't think divorce is a big deal. However, if you've had a divorce and you have that sinking feeling in your stomach right now, or you come from a family with divorce and it has left indelible scars upon you, hear me clearly say, this text is not speaking to you because the law has already done its work. You don't need to be told more information about how divorce is bad. You know it. You've experienced it. You're feeling it. I remember the first Christmas that we had without my ex-sister-in-law. It was Christmas Eve and... Um, we had to drop the kids off around dinner time. That's how it kind of worked out. And it was a long enough trip that we were going to miss dinner. We didn't have a plan for it. Uh, and it was dark because it's the middle of winter. So it was darker early. So it was very dark and gloomy. And I remember sitting in my car watching the kids run in to my brother's ex-wife's, it was like an apartment or complex, and just feeling the sickness in my stomach of the situation. That this was now the new normal. This was now how our family would be moving on every Christmas. That we would no longer have somebody who was so intricately a part of our family. And she actually got pregnant prior to the marriage and was basically kicked out of her house by her family, and we took her in. So it was even more painful. It was even more painful. And then we drove home and we said, let's try to find something to eat, and nothing was open. It was Christmas Eve and it was too late. 
stopped into a couple restaurants, nothing opened, they didn't have anything. I think, if I remember correctly, I think we stopped at like a Casey's and had frozen pizza for Christmas Eve. I can honestly say, and I wish I could use stronger language, it stunk. It's terrible. I hated every minute of it. So what does Jesus say to me and to my family in that moment? What does Jesus say to the person who feels the guilt, the shame, and the emotional baggage of divorce? Whether they are the one that went through it or they've just experienced it because of a family member who's gone through it. Jesus inextricably links divorce and remarriage to, the, to adultery at the end of the passage. So as I'm thinking about this, I'm going, if Jesus is speaking to these people who don't think divorce is a big deal with the law, then how would he speak to the opposite people? And so if he's connecting divorce and remarriage to adultery, right away, a couple passages came to mind. The first one was the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? How does he interact with her? How does he speak to her? She was caught in the act of adultery. Never mind the fact that we don't know who the man is. But it's unlikely. I'm going to, you know, Bible's over here, right? This is me extrapolating, right? It's unlikely that she was caught in the act. And they said, why don't you get your clothes on first? And then we're going to go see if we should stone you. Probably not how it happened, right? Caught in the act. She's probably drug in front of Jesus and all these other people, likely naked or half naked, completely ashamed, right? And how does Jesus interact with her? He is without sin. Throw the first stone. And nobody throws a stone. What's he say to the woman? Has anyone condemned you? Then neither do I. For somebody who had such incredible shame, over the, over the lifestyle and the fact that she was caught in the midst of that sin, Jesus speaks to her with compassion. Another one that jumped out to me when I was thinking about it was uh, Luke 7, the woman who anoints Jesus. The, the Pharisees had invited Jesus. Um, one of the Pharisees had invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he's reclining at the table and it says, in, in Luke 7, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. That's the PG version of saying she got around. That's how, that's how the Bible uses that language. And so she comes in. She stands behind him. Starts wiping his feet with, his, with her tears, with her hair. Kisses them, pours perfume on them. And the Pharisee, he says, if this man, I mean, if he was really a prophet, he would know who is touching him. What kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Again, translation. That's how the Bible speaks about women like them. So Jesus tells him this story, right? Says, hey, there are a couple people who have these debts, right? One of them is a really big debt. The other one is a really small debt. But they were both forgiven. Who do you think would like their master that they owed the debtor more? Who, who, who do you think would be more thankful? And Simon, the Pharisee, says, well, I, I guess it's probably going to be the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus goes, yep, he answered correctly. And then he launches into this and he goes, do you see this woman and how she's treated me? 
And he contrasts that with the way Jesus was treated by him. Jesus was, was worshipped and adored. Whereas for him, it was just like, well, you're my guest. You're just kind of at my table, right? It's my, it's my place, right? And this is, the, this is the verse that really got me. Verse 47, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has, past tense, shown. It's not that she does this worshipful act, and Jesus goes, well, look at that. I'm going to forgive this woman. She's, you know, she's a really contrite sinner. She seems like she's really sorry over her lifestyle, and she's probably going to turn this thing around. Let's forgive her. He goes, no, she knew who I was. And she knew that the way that she was feeling about her lifestyle, that wasn't a lifestyle she wanted. That wasn't something that she chose. It was something that happened to her based on the experiences of her life. And she knew who I was and she knew that I spoke a better word to her. She knew that she could find life and forgiveness and love in me. And because of that, that is the reason she acted upon me the way she did So, she knew who Jesus was, even as the Pharisee sat around condemning her. Even as the quote-unquote church of that day condemned her. For those who have been beaten down, neglected, and abused because of divorce, remember, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. Those feelings of inadequacy and guilt and shame are simply lies. Because we know who Jesus is and we know he speaks a better word, not a word of law, but a word of gospel to those of us who have been beaten up by the difficulties of life. So I implore you to believe the truth today. No matter how badly the people of God have handled divorce, no matter the feelings you have, Jesus never stops pursuing, forgiving, and comforting the afflicted. Let's pray. Father, I pray for, for all of us that wherever we are at, whether we have experienced divorce or not, we all struggle with feelings of inadequacy, feelings that we are not making it. We need your Holy Spirit to preach over us a better word. We need you to help our hearts believe the gospel. It's not something that we can just turn on and do. We need you to proclaim it into our hearts, proclaim it into our lives, to let our ears hear it. Please help us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.